I am so proud to be a social worker and I love to be a social worker. And I think that when you meet other social workers, you'll often get that same feeling from them that they are just, they love what they do. And I think part of it is because it's a profession where you do make a difference. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. And on today's episode, we have the ever amazing Julie Miller-Cribs, who I've admired for many, many years. So Julie, please just introduce yourself to the audience. So my name is Julie Miller-Cribs, and I'm the director of the Ann and Henry Zero School of Social Work. And I'm really happy to be here today. And and explain to people what the Ann and Henry Zero School of Social Work is and what your mission is and w- how long you've been there and what, what your role is. So I've been there going on now 11 years. And I'm actually from Tulsa originally, but I had lived in Tulsa for about 20 years. So coming home to come to OU and work at OU in Tulsa has been a wonderful thing because you, you get to come back to the place where you grew up and that you care a lot about. And... We are a school of social work, and we have two campuses, um, one in Norman and one in, in Tulsa, and we also have an online program. So we have undergraduate students in both Norman and Tulsa and a graduate program in both Norman and Tulsa, and then we have a graduate program that's online. And roughly, we have about 600 plus students, and we're growing pretty fast, so it's been an exciting time at the school. We have roughly 50 or so faculty across all of the campuses, and we have exciting research and other projects that are happening every day. And our mission is basically threefold things is to serve the state of Oklahoma and the future of social work, educate the future of social work, educate future social work workforce, and to provide new knowledge through research that applies, especially we have an Oklahoma-focused mission to focus our research on applied things in Oklahoma that make a difference in the lives of, of everyday Oklahomans. All right. And in a pre-pandemic world, when you graduate somebody from the program, what was their life? What was the work expectation? I know there's just a, a spectrum of work that is involved with social work, but typically in a pre-pandemic world, what were they dealing with? You know, some of the issues, some of the, the in-person issues, you know? Well, I think in Oklahoma, there's certainly some very important issues that affect social workers. And this is true in a lot of states, but also there are some unique aspects of being in Oklahoma as well. But I'd say, you know, we have higher than national average rates of a lot of outcomes that are correlated or contribute to a host of other social problems. So, for example, we have higher than average rates of violence and abuse in families and child abuse, we have higher than national average rates of poverty. Um, We do not do very well in the area of health. And I mean health overall, you know, our physical and our mental health. I don't like to think of those as separate things. We have shortages in our, especially in the area of mental health care providers. And so those are significant problems. We also um, incarcerate more women than, you know, most anywhere else in the world. And quite frankly, incarcerate more men than anyone else, than other states. And we have a problem with disproportionate minority confinement. In other words, we incarcerate disproportionately more people of color in the state of Oklahoma. When you think about what people might know about, some people might know about studies related to ACEs or which are adverse childhood experiences. And one of those, there's um, several of them, but one of those is having a relative who's incarcerated. And we know if we live in a state where disproportionately more of our adult population are in prison, particularly mothers, 
that we are going to be contributing to the ACE score of many, many children. So not surprisingly, the um, ACE, average ACE scores of children in Oklahoma are higher than in other states. And so we have a lot of challenges um, in the state. And so a social worker that w- works in, walks into working in Oklahoma, you know, is faced with a lot of challenges. And those are just the social issues. That also doesn't really account for a relatively conservative legislature that, you know, doesn't always like to support the safety net, as we would say. You know, we were one of the last states to actually get Medicaid expanded in our state, and that was only through the advocacy of a lot of people in the state of Oklahoma. And so that makes also, it makes a difficult context to get policies that might be more considered more progressive, or at least in my mind, more better suited for helping people that we are worried about helping past, you know, and we live in a state also with with budget realities and fiscal realities where there isn't a lot to go around or the way that it's distributed hasn't been distributed to those who need it the most in our state. So, you know, we don't live in a state that has that as a priority. So we're always sort of fighting battles on two fronts. You're, You're battling this sort of real live everyday issue of social problems. And then in this, in this political and budget context that, you know, doesn't always prioritize those things. Now, one of the strengths of Oklahoma and Tulsa in particular is that we have the, we're, we're very rich and very generous funders, you know, that, you know, even they would recognize we, we have a lot of problems in Oklahoma that need to be addressed. And even they would probably admit that we're in a, in a context that's difficult, you know, politically and fiscally. So, you know, it's it's a it's it's a difficult place to work, but it's challenging, and I like that about that because you know, I guess if I worked in like let's say choose Massachusetts or as an example, you know, because that's about as blue as I can think right now, you would still have challenges. I'm not saying Massachusetts has it easy, but it certainly has certain things in place that make some of the work that social workers do a little bit easier, and that they don't always have to worry about. You know, and whereas here we have you know, all kinds of contexts that makes our, our work our work complicated. So I like a challenge. And luckily, so do many of our students. So that's a good thing. There is a whole spectrum of what social work is. Can you explain that? Yeah, sure. And that's that's a good question because I think there there's a lot of people who, who don't always think about the complexity that is social work and they don't always fully understand it. I think the most common stereotype is that a social worker is a child welfare worker who takes away children, you know, you know, these child stealers, so to speak, which has been a stereotype that social work has, has fought for many years, because really social workers do way more than, I mean, we do do child welfare, but we do a lot of other stuff too. I would say that, <laughs> that you have people who work in both bachelor's level and in master's level social workers. And what people don't realize about social workers is they provide the majority of mental health services in the United States. They combine, combined, they provide more mental health services than I think psychiatrists, psychiatric nurses, and psychologists provide nationally. So we're really the number one provider of mental health services in the United States. So I think that's an important thing. So, you know, anywhere that you're going to go where you're going to receive mental health services, whether that's at a private clinic or in an outpatient clinic or an inpatient clinic or in a hospital or a community center, most likely you are going to get those services from a social worker. So that's an important piece of what social workers do is provide mental health services. Now, 
the way that we provide mental health services kind of vary, very much, you know, very dramatically. So, you know, we could be doing them in all kinds of different contexts. So I always say that social work is deep and wide. It's wide in that it can it can serve an, all the way from, you know, early childhood, you know, or pre-childhood all the way to there's even gerontological social work, for example. So it's across the, the age spectrum. It's also across all the kinds of problems. So you're going to see social workers working in all these fields of practice, such as in schools, in hospitals, in mental health facilities. In, in, but then also people, what people don't often think about is that social workers are also involved in what we would call more macro-related social work schools. So they also do policy advocacy work, like such as the work of the, the Oklahoma Policy Institute where they're actually in advocating and, and making speech, just, you know, lobbying and doing all of that kind of work. So, you know, it's deep and wide. There's a lot of fields. There's a, you can work with a lot of different populations. And then you can do work at the very smallest level, like one-on-one -on -one with individuals and with families and with groups and then with organizations and the neighborhoods and then with policies. So it's like, that's how I think of it as being deep and wide and is the best way to describe what social workers can do. And the nice thing is you can move from one to the other, right? You know, you can kind of do a little bit of both. Or if your, you know, institution has done, you know, a little bit of both. And in fact, if you, if you, if you meet different kinds of people who run social, big social service agencies in, in and around Tulsa and Oklahoma, you'll find that they had worked in the background where they were both, you know, worked one-on-one -on -one with individuals, but then now find themselves in these more macro-related roles as they've moved up in their positions. And that is not at all unusual for social workers. Yeah. From my understanding of talking to social workers, Dr. Jedediah Bragg being one of them, he was saying that 80% of, you know, social work students, you know, early in that, in that, that path, they come in thinking they're going to be a therapist, right? But as they progress along and, and once they graduate, then they find those other paths that are very fulfilling. Explain to me why everybody comes in thinking they're going to be a therapist and then they find other paths. Well, I think most people probably even I would put myself in that camp when I entered into social work, I wanted to help people like, you know, you have this very sort of, I call it Miss America <laughs> kind of response, you know, like I want to help people want to, you know, which, but it's, it's, it's rooted in a reality that, you know, you want to help people. You're not exactly sure how to do that. Right. And so it's sort of what you know, you know, you're good at. And I think that, or, you know, you want to do, I think that's sort of what happens. And so then as you get, become trained um, and learn how to do that, then the field sort of opens up to you and the uh, social work, like every other field needs leadership, you know, and needs supervision and needs experience. And so as you move up in that, in that social work world, what happens is you end up, you know, being asked to lead sometimes, you know, and sometimes people don't. There's people who have long careers just doing private practice and one-on-one -on -one stuff, and they're very good at it, and that's where they like to stay, and that's fine. But then there's a lot of other people who get tasked to, you know, become a supervisor of three or four people, and then they're the head of a particular unit, and then they're, you know, the head of an agency. And then before you know it, you know, they're gaining all these different skills, because as you can imagine... Many of the people skills in which social workers are trained are transferable from the micro to the macro level, but you know you still have to gain kind of new experiences. Like I never imagined years in a million years imagined I would be working with budgets, for example. I do that all. I probably do more budgeting than anything else right now, and you know. But I also I also do a lot of hiring and 
you know, strategic planning and all these kinds of skills that, you know, I sort of learned along the way. But I use I use different skills when I first started than what I do now, right? And my job is very different now from when I first started working one-on-one with people. But so that that happens. And there's a great leadership void in general in social work. There was a big boom in social work in the 1960s after a lot of people went to school after the Vietnam War. And so a lot of those folks are retiring. And so there's a lot of faculty positions open in social work. There's a lot of leadership positions open in nonprofits and in social work generally. So there's a lot of need for people to move up into positions and, and take the take the profession literally by the reins and, and keep it going forward. And so I think that's been that's been another thing. And our 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 research and our alumni suggests that after two or three years in their job, and that it's not very long when you think about it, they are asked to be in either supervisory or administrative positions. So we know that that's true just in our own state that our MSW social workers move quickly into administrative positions. So they need to be prepared, right? Okay. So the pandemic, you have graduated a couple classes now of, of social workers during the pandemic and you have sent them out into the world of <laughs> that is constantly changing, constantly adapting to new situations <laughs> that we've never had to really deal with. And you're sending them into a virtual world. And so tell us what you're maybe what you prepare them for and maybe what you've heard from those graduates about what life has been like in, in the pandemic. <laughs> it's been an interesting learning time. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to, run a largely on the ground program that meets live to a completely 100% virtual program and try to figure out how to make that all work in a very short period of time. So that's been, that's been interesting. Lucky for us, we already had the online program and because we have two campus sites already, we were quite attuned to using Zoom and in the various different ways. So at least for us, we were we were relatively prepared compared to some other departments. And also we were, we also have the online program. So we already had several of our courses on fully online anyway. So we were kind of, we were kind of a little prepared for that. And we have a simulation program, which is really cool. We have a sim lab in both Norman and Tulsa, and we were able to move that lab in a virtual environment. And, and so that's been great too. So we've made some adjustment, adjustments. I think it's hard to say. I think that it, we've had a lot of contact with our field agencies. They've all been hit. I mean, everybody's been hit, right? I mean, from trying to figure out how to make things work virtually to being having employees out who are ill and families in distress and having you know less budget i mean all of these challenges on our on our local agencies have been real and very hard i think as much as possible i've seen social work agencies work really hard to adapt quickly not only to meeting the needs of their clients but also to meeting the needs of their employees and moving to remote environments and supporting doing as many things as you can online has been a part of that. And I think that we're all learning a lot about how to do it and how to do it right. I think one of the exciting things, I'm probably jumping ahead a little bit, but one of the exciting things about all of this work is that I think we'll be less hesitant to jump into online stuff into the future. And there is a real need for us to think about how to better deliver tele health and telemental health, especially to remote rural areas where people don't have access or where transportation is an access issue. 
you know, where you can just call up your therapist and have an appointment like you and I have this conversation today versus having to physically take off work and drive to that appointment, you know, whatever. So I think that we're learning a lot more about how maybe we can use these, these, these technology and the technology has improving and people's skills would have been improving. So maybe in the long run, we will have better access to services is one of my hopes is that one of the things that we've learned through this is that we will learn about a better think outside of the box about the delivery of services that we always traditionally think have to be face-to-face. Now, that is not to underscore that face-to-face is not great. And there is wonderful intrinsic value with being face-to-face when you can. I think we should, as human beings, be next to each other and then when we can, because we all crave and need that. But when we don't have to or when people can't to access them, we can be thinking a lot more broadly, I think, about how to deliver services to people that And you know what? It's not always distance, although distance is one issue. For me, it's also about isolation and transportation and just busyness, you know? So and what we've learned in our online program is that we try to encourage as much as possible those online, um, those students who live in Oklahoma, like in Norman or Tulsa, to come to our program because we rather than be in our face-to-face program. However, we still have a few people who enroll in the online program, even though it's, you know, more expensive and a little more more difficult to get into, they still they still opt for that option just because their lives are so hectic. Like say they work five or they have three kids and whatever. And so their schedule is just not such that even though they physically live in our city, that they can attend school, you know, in, in a face-to-face option. It's just too much sacrifice for them. And so I think we've learned a lot about that, like how we can better use these resources to reach people who just whether we're talking about education or we're talking about therapy or we're talking about health or whatever we're talking about, that we can think more, I think we can think better about how we can deliver those services. So, so what have have you heard from graduates or just, you know, alumni who've been like, here's what it's been like during the pandemic, maybe some of the good and the bad, you know, what have you heard? No, I mean, the bad is, you know, I still think if you're going to, you know, even if we talk about access, like I've been talking about it, I mean, that also assumes that people have a computer and a, and a stable internet connection. So, you know, some of the people that we worry about in our world, right, are homeless people and people who, who may not have access to phones and, and other things. So we, we still have to think about that. So then one of the bad things is that some people still are disconnected, right? And in this, in this, Right now, with the pandemic, you can't just say, well, go to the pub. I mean, because there is pla- there are places where people can get good access, but right now you can't send them to anywhere crowded, right? So it's a little challenging. In the future, maybe we can think about that better. But So that's one thing. And then unstable internet connections. I mean, I think that it's just telling us a lot about our internet capacities and network capacities. I mean, even we theoretically have the, at my house, have the best internet service that we can get in, you know, through the company and still mine will go unstable once in a while. Right. And so that's, that's, that's a challenge. I think we have to be extra careful. I think about privacy and confidentiality and how you handle these things. Cause you know, like it or not, if you and I were having a private therapy session, my husband might be in the kitchen making a sandwich and he can hear us. So, you know, we have to think about how how to maintain privacy and confidentiality. And there's, I think we're learning a lot about that. Use headphones, 
you know, talk to the to the client about where where they are and, and making sure they have private spaces. I mean, we we did, we figured out how to do that in the, in the educational setting. We you know we talked about creating spaces for you to be fully engaged in the class that's online and how you how you do that. And so we're learning about that. I think for sure, like in education, it just can't be a monotonous three hour PowerPoint presentation with no breaks like that might work in the classroom, even though I wouldn't say it's probably the best in the classroom either. But at least then you have the personality you can walk around and you know, whatever online is like, whoa, you know, so you have to vary it up. And so we've been learning about different ways to, to engage people online using different techniques and engagement is the heart and soul of working with people and doing that well is the key to you know any good interpersonal relationship that's going to lead to change so you know how we engage with people in this kind of space is, is important all right so you, you you've already touched on sort of the once the pandemic uh, is over that there will be greater access we'll be able to have vir- and still have virtual meetings we'll be reaching out into the corners of the state that we couldn't reach i want to talk about a year three years five years ahead and you know the ripple effects of this pandemic what that will do for social workers like and i i don't i honestly don't know how you're going to answer this question i don't know if there is if you're giving this uh, thought since you're probably in the moment and just the immediate aftermath of the pandemic but you know in the long run what will social work look like because of the pandemic years from now well <laughs> <laughs> will it be the same? Will it be different? Will it be? I'm sure it won't be the same. I, I think there's, I think there's some interesting things that we will learn. Some of the stuff, what I just talked about, especially harnessing and using technology for good. I mean, I think that's something that social workers need to be a, power, a part of. And if we are going to use technology so much for a lot of, if we're going to deliver services via technology, then we really need to be advocating as social workers for technology for everybody, you know, making sure people have access or innovating in, in other ways. And we've seen some of that stuff, like cell phones for people who are experiencing homelessness or you know, innovative programming around technology to help with those kinds of things, email accounts, you know, those kinds of things. I think we need, we'll see an expansion of those things. So that's, that's one element, not related to the pan- pandemic necessarily or to, to technology though. I think what we've seen, we've seen a renewed interest in social justice issues across the country with the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, women's issues and gay and lesbian transgendered issues and I'm hoping you know that will interest another generation of people who are interested in social change who will be attracted to social work and who will get trained in how to make you know that kind of change a reality in our future I think you know we we certainly also have seen challenges to the current ways in which we approach policing and our criminal justice system in general. You know, we have the problem with over-incarceration. We have a problem with disproportionate confinement. We have the obvious problem with, with police violence. So how do we, how will social workers be involved in that? I, I imagine they will be, right? So if we, if we talk about, I don't like using that term because I don't think it's the right term, but you know, when people it is a term people use now, defunding the police or whatever that term is. Like, I can't think of it right now, but, but, but I think that rethinking policing will certainly integrate social workers because social workers really 
know how to intervene in the kinds of problems that that you know unfortunately fire work firemen and policemen and other first responders often are not trained and so sometimes we either will need to be involved in helping train those folks or as part of those teams of folks that go out as first responders there's already as you know some good work that's happening where social workers are working with on with EMTs and first responders. And when a social worker goes on that, on, out on those visits sometimes, especially if it's a mental health issue, they can avoid taking that folk, that person to the hospital instead of, so they, they end up diverting folks um, who don't necessarily need to go to the hospital but needed some support. So think just think about that in terms of like how we might transform communities in different ways by rethinking how we police. I think it's got a bad rap and it's sort of put together as this, like, we're going to have no policemen and we'll have complete chaos, you know, versus, you know, this heavy law and order. And I think there needs to be something in the middle. I mean, I think that there's, we always end up painting things in these very black and white ways, but in fact, probably there's some kind of good policies and procedures and, and, and things that we could be doing in the middle. And there's actually already evidence of good, good models of police community policing and partnerships between social workers and other people that are making the difference a difference. So I'm expecting to see that as an emerging area in our state in particular, but I also think nationally also, we're going to have to do something about our health. You know, I mean, um, we have far too escalating rates of, far too high escalating rates of obesity and diabetes and all the complicating factors that come with those things and kind of morbid conditions. Our suicide rate is way too high, you know, and there's just, there's a lot that needs to be done in that area. In this part of the nation also, I would imagine we'd be getting better and better at figuring out how to do substance abuse treatment and deal with this opioid epidemic that's plaguing us. And all of these things are going to take teams of people. None of them are going to take just social workers, but I think social workers will be important parts of those teams are going to be, that are going to be addressing these complicated issues. The reality is that our social issues are so complicated that they are going to require a team of people, you know. And it is sort of unrealistic to, like, for example, keep assuming that a teacher can deal with all the social needs of a student and teach in a classroom. Just like it's hard to imagine that a policeman is maintaining law and order and and dealing with all of the social needs of the families that he, that he or she ends up serving. So, you know, we need, or a doctor to address all of the concerns of a patient that comes in, because as we have seen, when we have teams of people, we do a much better job, right, of addressing sort of the whole person or the whole community and what they need. So that was a long-winded answer, but... No, that was beautiful. That was really beautiful. And that really leads to uh, the last section of this interview. I want you to talk to all the, you know, the junior high and high school kids, the, you know, undergraduates. Also, you know, just regular, ordinary people in the workforce who during this pandemic have reevaluated their lives and they want to go and they want to make a difference. And they're, they, they, they don't know how they're going to do that, but, you know, maybe they're thinking social work. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I want you to talk. I want you to give your pitch for being a social worker. Well, I, 
Yeah, sure. I mean, I am so proud to be a social worker and I love to be a social worker. And I think that when you meet other social workers, you'll often get that same feeling from them that they are just, they love what they do. And I think part of it is because it's a profession where you do make a difference in the lives of people. So it's work that you can feel good about. Not that you should feel bad about any other work that you do, but it is a nice kind of feeling to know that the work that you do is making the lives of people better. That's just a special feeling that you get. And I, I like that. I also think social workers are trained really uniquely. So we, we are trained to think across systems. And what, to me, what that means is we don't think just about, okay, this a psychology, a psychological perspective might be, why does it behave that way? You know, kind of, a, and we learn those things, but we also learn that that person is inside of a family, inside of a community, inside of a context, you know, and so there's all these things that play into being a person in, a, in this universe. And so we, we call it systems theory, you know, so we, we encourage people to think about, about across all these systems of things. So that's kind of cool. Also, I think social work is a career where if you want to make a shift, so you say you want to change the field or you want to say you're working in substance abuse and all of a sudden you think, I really like babies. I want to work in infant mental health. It's the kind of profession that you can do that. Or if you're working on one-on-one in counseling and you go, I really want to write policy. You can do that with a social work degree or better yet, I want to run for office. So I think that that's a really nice, that's a nice piece of social work. You can do, you can make a shift and turn in a different direction and social work can still hold you. You don't have to switch professions to do that. So, you know, the, 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 the other thing about social work is that you, it's a nationally um, recognized degree. The MSW is a nationally recognized degree and you can get a license and you can transfer that license from one state to another pretty, pretty easily, but like you do in other things like in medicine or law. So that means you can, if you ever do move, it's a portable degree um, and it's widely recognized. So that's another, another bonus to it. I think it's a field where you can move up quickly and, and especially if you're interested in leadership, you know, find yourself in charge of an agency one day without a huge problem. <laughs> you know, you could, you could work hard and you could get there. So there's all that. If you, you know, but on the other hand, if you just want to help people and you don't necessarily want to go to school, there's other other ways to do that. One is they all people always need money and people may roll their eyes and go, of course they do, Julie, but that's really true. The reality is, is that social work organizations always need funds. And if you can't give money, then you can give things. You know, a lot of a lot of um, organizations need phys- physical things like clothes or you know, for example, I try, well, not have it in the last year, but before the last year, I travel a lot. And so I just, you know how you can like not get the little bottles for me, but I always put them in a special bag and I bring them home. And then I give them either, I either give them to the Mental Health Association or sometimes I give them to the Youth Services of Tulsa. Um, and I probably give them hundreds of shampoo bottles every day that I know go into toiletry kits to help homeless folks. So there are little things that you can do too every day to help people in our own community. So money or things. And if you don't have things, there's always time. So there's plenty of organizations that you can volunteer for in small or big ways. So you don't have to be a social worker to help people. But if you want to go big, you certainly can. But if you want to go small, there's lots of other ways that, and all of our organizations are so great and need so much help and have really good sites where they tell you about all the volunteer opportunities where you can 
make a difference. And if you're not sure, that's also a very good way to start to see if social work maybe would be your thing is to start as a volunteer to see if that's something that you would, you would want to pursue a career in. Julie, you've already shared so much wisdom with us and you always share so much wisdom with your students. So I want you to, whatever best advice you have, maybe for social workers or for the general public or just something that you live by, what, you know, leave us with one last bit of wisdom and we'll be done. I think right now, maybe it's pandemic influenced, but I would say something pretty simple, which is being kind (laughs) to one another and remembering to put yourself in the shoes of other people. Everybody experiences things in different ways and everybody's situations are different. We tend to see, we tend to sometimes look at other people. We see their experiences through our eyes versus seeing their experience through their eyes. And I think we need to do more of that so we can try to better communicate with each other and help each other when we need it. And to really open our hearts and minds and ears to difference. And instead of trying to fight all the time with people that are different from us, try to find points of compromise and points of things we have in common. Because if we camp out too far in in our own corners, then we're just going to get stuck there and then we're never going to move anything forward. So, you know, finding ways to have difficult conversations and saying your truth and sticking up for people who don't have always a voice is an important thing that we need to do every day, but in the kind way.